Good morning, Journey Church. I am not Bob. On Friday morning, Bob texted me and said, I'm sick. Could you preach on Sunday for me? So I said yes, because I love preaching to you. Uh, so, uh, but Bob's doing better. I talked to him yesterday. His voice is still, uh, still, still kind of wacky, but uh, so uh, you got a substitute. <laughs> and uh, we're not going to look, we're going to take a pause on rediscovering joy or studying Philippians. And the message I'm going to preach is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's, the, it's Paul's prayer. So my objective in our time together is to equip you to pray for other people and yourself. That's one of my goals by the end of this. And this text is fascinating. So it'd be helpful. I know not everybody can do this, but if you have your uh, physical Bibles or your digital Bibles on your phone, if you could get to it, it helps you understand this text to see the whole and the parts of the whole. So if you can see the text, find the text at this time. And uh, a couple of things I'm going to ask you to do, and I promise I will not embarrass anybody with this. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would bring one person to mind to uh, pray for. One person in mind to pray for. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Bring someone to mind, okay? You don't have to say anything, do anything except, except pray for him, okay? The other thing is this. Uh, I want you to just take a moment to use your imagination. And, and imagine Journey Church fulfilling its redemptive potential to the greatest degree, where everything is just going just the way that God wants this church to function and act. And just have an imagery of that in your mind, something you can imagine, and just hang on those two. But now I want to help you understand how to pray for others. Uh, My cousin, she said that uh, when um, people come up to her and say, will you pray for me? She goes, I'll pray for you because I know you need it, and I need the practice. And so that person will be the practice for you to pray for. So we're going to look at this text together, and the text is uh, found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. But let me pray before we uh, continue on. Father God, please bring to mind someone that you want us to pray for. And by the end of our time together, we're better equipped to pray for them. And the things that we pray for them, may we pray for ourselves. Because in this text, you show us what's most important for us to pray for, especially in reference to others. So, Father, give us guidance. We want to hear from you. We pray that you'll be glorified and we'll grow closer to you as a result of our time together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, some disciples came up to Jesus. and They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what he gave them is Luke's version of what we call the Lord's Prayer. You imagine if you walked up to the Apostle Paul and you said, Paul, teach us to pray for others. I think he would point to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's Paul's prayer where he teaches us to pray for one another. One of the things about the book of this prayer is in the middle of the book, and a fascinating element of the book of Ephesians is divided into two sections. The first sections, one, two, and the first half of three, is deeply theological. Um, 
It says, this is true. This is true. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've been redeemed. You've been informed of the mystery of his will. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You were dead in your sins and transgressions, but now you've been made alive of Christ. Now God has torn the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles down. We're being built in this one body. It is all theological. He doesn't ask anybody to do anything in the first three chapters of Ephesians except one thing. He tells us to Remember what it was like before you were saved. You know, ask us to do anything. It's all grace. This is God's love. Chapter four, five, and six change dramatically. He tells us how to live out the gospel. So if this is how we love God, this is how we love people. This is orthodoxy, right truth. This is orthopraxy, right living. And he tells us how to live out our faith. So sandwiched between these two very different sections of the book is this prayer that bridges the gap. We see this kind of the essence of this prayer when he opens with this. For this reason, what he just said, you have been tremendously blessed in the person of Jesus Christ because of the grace that God has lavished. For this reason, this is what he does. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Ephesians was written about the same time probably that Philippians was. He's in jail. He's in chains. And he drops to his knees when he thinks about the Christians in Ephesus. And he goes, for this reason, I'm praying for you. I fall to my knees and I pray for you. And here's what he says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, the first little word I want you to catch here is the word that. I pray that. I remember one of the first times I studied this text, when I figured out that the interpretive key of this section is that little word that, and it's repetition, the whole text began to make sense for me. I truly began to understand it because what he's saying is, because of this happens, I want you to do this so that this would happen and do this so this would happen and this so that this would happen. He's saying, uh, from where you are, this is where I want you to go and this is how you get here. And we do this all the time. Uh, like one of the things that all of us here have in common is we're here. And you woke up so that... You could drink coffee so that you could get dressed, so that you could get into the car, so that you could drive here. And it was a series of actions to get from where you were to where you wanted to be. If you're watching this online, you did the same thing. You woke up so that you could roll over and get your remote (laughs) and join the service as well. And we're glad... You're joining us online as well. And what he's saying here is there, there's some place I want you to be and there's steps to get in there. So that, so that, so that. And so the first thing he prays for is this. I pray that of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And what we're going to see is there's four movements in this prayer. And the first thing that he prays for is power. He prays for power that you would be strengthened in the inner person. Why does he pray for the inner person? The inner person is the most important part of you. 
You know, the unseen part of you is the most important part of you. It's the eternal part. This is all going to waste away. But the unseen part of you, your soul, your heart, your mind, your spirit, all those elements, that's the part that's most important. And frequently when you hear prayer requests, people pray for outward person, outer, outer man things. Like, pray they get healthy. Like, we want to pray for Bob that he will, will uh, get better so that I don't have to preach next week. We pray for finances. We pray for weather. We pray for safety. It's good to pray for outer man person, outer person things, but we also need to pray for inner person things. And so in praying for them, because I pray for you to have power in your inner being, spiritual strength. And why is that so important? Because that's where a lot of our struggles are. I mean, for example, some of you right now are just worn out. You're weary in your soul. And you need to be strengthened. Uh, some of you are experiencing a great deal of anxiety in your inner person. And you need the peace that the Holy Spirit can bring in your life. Uh, some of you are questioning Christianity and questioning faith. I love the guy who said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And you're grappling with this and your faith is weak and you need your faith to be weakened at this point. And some of you are fearful to do the right thing. There's an injustice that you know that you need to address, some wrong that you need to stand up and have the courage to enter into, and you're just so fearful. And you need to be strengthened to have the courage to do what you need to do. Or some of you are struggling with temptation, and you're just tired of struggling against that. That Maybe you have anger that keeps welling up within you. And you need to be strengthened in your inner person so that you can say no to it. And the way that uh, Paul wraps up the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 6.10, he talks about spiritual warfare. And maybe the evil one is attacking you or his, his demonic forces are attacking you in some degree. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. You need the strength to stand firm in the midst of the spiritual warfare you're going through. You see why it's so important to pray for the inner person? Because that's where everything happens, isn't it? And so he looks at them and he goes, I pray that you'll be strengthened in the inner person, that you will have strength in here. And then we see the next that. See, he says, I pray for this so that something else would happen. And the next thing that he prays to happen is for residence that Christ would dwell in them richly. Look at the text, 17 This is why he prays for them to be strengthened, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember, when the first time studying this, I looked at that, I go, what? I, that's not what I was taught. I was taught that Christ dwells on us when we become a believer. But here Paul's saying, I want you to be strengthened in a person so that Christ dwells in you. Does Christ dwell us when we place faith and he comes into our lives? Or does, is it contingent upon us being strengthened in a person? And if we're not strong in the inner person, is Christ not in us? Why is he saying dwell? Christ would dwell in us. I didn't know that Paul could be wrong in this theology. He didn't run it by me. But he's right. 
because I had clarity when I understood what that little word dwell means. In the original Greek, the original language which Paul wrote, that Greek word for uh, dwell is kata oikeo, which is a compound word. Uh, oikeo is the verb form of oikos, which is yogurt. And it means house. Oikos is house. So oiketo is to house. And so the prefix is a preposition, kata. So he uses this word kata oiketo, and kata means this, down. So when you put the two words together, it intensifies this idea of dwelling. And this is what it means to settle down and to be at home. What he's not saying, I pray that you'll be strengthened in inner person so that Christ will be present in you. That happened when you place faith in Jesus Christ. What he is saying is, I pray that you'll be strengthened so that Christ will settle down and be at home in your heart. He's not talking about presence. He's talking about establishing a residence. The question isn't, is Christ in you? The question is, Christ at home in you? That's a good question, isn't it? Is Jesus at home in your heart? Is he at rest in your heart? It's essential. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, Kim and I, when we were married, uh, we moved into this on-campus housing. It was a really small studio uh, apartment. And uh, we got married. She had her stuff. I had my stuff. So we put our stuff together in our apartment, and we began to unpack. And so we were unpacking all of our stuff and uh, getting the house kind of set up the best we could as newlyweds. And could you imagine a scenario if I opened up a box, and then I pull out a photo, and I put it on the wall, and I get it just right, real straight. And then my wife turns and looks at it, and, and, and she goes, who's that? And I said, oh, that's my first girlfriend. First kiss. I just can't imagine living life without remembering her. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you this question. Could Kim kata oikeo in our apartment with that on the wall? No, this is what she's saying. Get that off the wall. It goes in the dumpster. And that's where it belongs, doesn't it? She would say, I can't be at home with that on my wall because you married me, not her. And now she says this, in the walls of your heart, are there other loves that compete with the one true love? Um, remember in Revelation, Jesus chided church, you've left your first love. And it is so easy for me to clutter the decor of my heart's walls with stuff that doesn't belong. 
And, and so what he's really saying here is, I pray you'll be strengthened in your person so that something will happen. And when you're strengthened in your person, what happens is Christ is more and more in your heart. Because you know what it takes? It takes power to throw things in the dumpster that should be there. And you need to be strengthened in a person so that you can clean house so that something else happens. And so he continues on in his prayer and he moves up the ladder, so to speak, as he's talking about this intensification. And he moves up the ladder to this point to where he says that there is an awareness of Christ. Look at the text, how it reads. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You see the progression. I pray you'll be strengthened so Christ is at home so that you will be aware of how much God truly loves you. So he begins with this, being rooted and established in love. He's not praying that they would be rooted and established in love because they already have been. Because you've been rooted and established in love, this is what I'm going to ask you. So that's Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 and a half. Because you've been rooted and established in love, may you have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I love this text because he says, first of all, I want you to get a hold of this fact of the four dimensions of God's love for you. Uh, how many teachers here? Teachers, teachers, any teachers? Just raise your hand. Any teachers? I love teachers. You know what teachers, why teachers teach? It's not June, July, and August. They teach for that aha moment when the student goes, And this is what he's praying for. I pray that you would grasp the fact that God loves you with a four-dimensional love. And then he prays that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Uh, did you catch what he just said there? He goes, there's this love. It surpasses knowledge. I want you to know that. I thought you just said it surpasses knowledge. Yeah, I want you to know that. That's how much he loves us. He wants us to know that his love surpasses knowledge. And I love that phrase where he does the four dimensions. And this is what John Stott says about the four dimensions of God's love. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last all of eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. And what you're seeing here is this staircase. And there's this staircase in which there is an intensification of the prayer where he's moving us from where we are to the place he wants us to be. And so he's praying that we strengthened so Christ is at home, so we'd be aware of him, which brings us to the last that that he's talking about, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. We could call this to yield ourselves. Now, as we progress through this, we see the power, the residence, and the awareness. 
And when I talk about being aware of God's love and you grasp it and that you know what you can't know, I sense as a communicator inadequacy to communicate through that. So when I'm preparing to preach in this sermon, one of the things I did is I go, Lord, I can't express how much you love everybody. Would your Holy Spirit give them an awareness of this? And when we have that awareness of this, then we become filled with the fullness of God. Now, that's connected to yielding, and I'll explain how that works in just a second, because being filled to the fullness of God is one of those Bible terms where you kind of read it, and you go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to fill the fullness of God. And you look at it and go, what does that mean? What does that mean? And so what Paul is saying here is, I pray that you'll be filled with the fullness of God in Bible vernacular, and in ours too. Being filled has the idea of controlled are dominated by something. Being filled or controlled or dominated by somebody, something. Um, what do you call a person that has like a really huge ego sometimes? We'll say, he's full of himself. Some of you are worried they're going to say something else. <laughs> he's full of himself. Here's the reality. Everyone is full of something. Full of pride. Full of anger. Full of resentment. Full of love. Full of grace. We're all filled with something. And Paul, in a few verses later in the book, he's going to use this analogy of filling. He talks about alcohol. And he says... Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. Some versions say dissipation, where something is wasted. And when a person gets drunk, they get wasted. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's comparing and contrasting. This is what happens when people are filled with alcohol. They're controlled and dominated by that. And they do things they never would have done because the alcohol was controlling them and they weren't controlling the alcohol. My dad was a preacher. He grew up in a home of an alcoholic father. So he hated alcohol. So he was a teetotaler. And this is what he'd say when he's preaching sometimes. He'd say this, Bud doesn't make Bud wiser. It makes Bud dumber. his hatred of alcohol because he saw what happened with what his father would do to his mother and them when he was filled with something besides the Holy Spirit. Um, what are you full of? What is that that really controls and dominates and drives you? So when he says, I want you to be filled with the fullness of God, this is what he wants you to, to be. To be... Godly. That when people look at you, you are so filled with God, they see Christ in you. Isn't it one of the most beautiful things that we can think of and see an older person who's godly? 
They're attractive. This is the highest prayer you can pray for someone, that they'd be godly. That they'd be filled with the fullness of God. That's the apex. Uh, And what that means is when you're filled with the fullness of God, you're controlled by God. And may I say this, you are dominated by God. And that scares us. Hey, you try to control or dominate me, I'll get ticked off. Uh, Probably because I don't trust you. The only person that I'd really want to control and dominate me is a God who loves me. And I'm aware of that love. And the only way that I can really understand how much he loves me is when Christ is at home in our heart. And the only way that Christ can really be at home in our heart is that we are strengthening the inner person to clean house. But the more we're strengthening the inner person, the more Christ is at home in our heart, and the more we're aware of the four dimensions of love, and we say, you are the one that I want you to control me. I want to be filled with you rather than being filled with myself. I want to experience the fullness of what you're calling me to do. So we see the connections of the, the, the prayer that he prays and how the, that's all go together. So I asked you um, earlier to imagine something. Um, and the imagine piece is, is uh, something that uh, I want all of us to be engaged in. And I grew up in the rural south, upper south. Uh, we, we have this great word that uh, many of you northerners don't have. I love you, okay? I'm not looking down on you. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> and the word that we have you know, down the, in the south is this beautiful word, y'all. You know, we, we get so tired trying to say you and all. We just stop, you put them together, save time. And did you see the word you in this text many times? Every time it was y'all. Not you, y'all. He's talking to the church. And so this prayer is not just individuals, though we are all individuals, but it's for the whole church. Now, look what he does. This has been a prayer of intercession, right? Which is a Christian word we're praying for other people. Now is a prayer of doxology where we pray to God only. And this is what he does. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is such a beautiful text. And this is what it's saying. If you're godly, and you're godly, and you're godly, and you're godly, and you're godly. You know what God can do? What you imagined, immeasurably more than that for his glory. Would you just imagine with me for a moment, if every one of us in this room were godly, what would God do through this church for his glory and his kingdom? What if everyone in this room was filled to the fullness of God, that our coworkers, our family, 
They saw Christ manifest through us. What you imagined before would be blown away. And that's our prayer for us as a church, that we fulfill what God's called us to do. Let me wrap up with a story. Uh, you don't mind another old man story about my life? I told one last week. Uh, this is, it was in 1981. I was in Bible college. And uh, I remember real clearly I had bought this Bible study guide. And I could even visualize standing in my doorway in the dorm and looking at it. it had this real ugly pink uh, cover. And it says, turning on spiritual power, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And it was a series of sermon notes, messages on this text I just read to you. And I read that, and it just revolutionized my life because I began to see that this was being unfolding. And this is what I did when I was 20. I had been 20 years old at that time is I started praying that prayer. And I've prayed that prayer for 42 years. And uh, when I was 20, I started praying that prayer. I would have never imagined that I'd be standing here at Journey Church preaching to you all today. If you knew my story, you would go, I could never imagine that Jim would be doing this. This is my created purpose. And you have a created purpose. And you can do immeasurably more in your life than you can ever imagine. Your purpose doesn't look like my purpose. Mine doesn't look like yours. But for people who pray this prayer and are filled with the fullness of God... God does immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine for his glory. So you should have a person in mind. Would you bring them to mind and pray for them as I pray for us as a community of believers? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are, and we pray that everyone in this room would be filled with your Holy Spirit power, that your son Jesus would be at home in their heart, and you would give them an acute awareness of how much you love them and they will grasp this love. And we pray that ultimately they will be filled with the fullness of Christ. And may you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine for your glory through this community of believers. And we pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.